Hey, welcome to the Christmas edition of More Than Bread. My name is Dan, and I've been a pastor in Central PA for almost 30 years. Three decades of Nittany Lion football. Wait a minute, that has nothing to do with this podcast, sorry. Although I have to be honest, though I grew up in South Dakota and went to college in Minnesota and even lived in New York City for a bit, all of which have their own sets of teams, and it's almost impossible to live in State College and not become a Nittany Lion fan, right? The the environment shapes our hearts. Have you ever noticed that? Stay in an environment long enough, give your soul a context long enough, and sooner or later your response to that context is going to it's gonna shape something. Which is why I value the Word of God more than bread. Bread is good, but if it doesn't shape my soul, the Word of God, the Word of God, every word that comes from the mouth of God and the Word of God, which John says is actually Jesus, when Scripture is your context, when you just kind of soak in it, your soul is going to be shaped to be increasingly like Jesus. And and honestly, that's what I hope has taken place for me and you. I, I don't want these 15 to 20-minute dives into Scripture to just be interesting or even just inspiring or, huh, I never thought about it that way. I, I want them to become a context which shapes our lives. So this is episode number 205 of More Than Bread, but day two of our Advent series. If you haven't been caught up in listening as my podcast drop, or at least close to it, and and it's like April or June when you're hitting this episode, you'll either want to skip ahead till you see Philippians again, or do Christmas in April. (laughs) Your choice. Okay with me either way. We'll come back to Philippians chapter 3 in about 15 to 20 episodes, and and then we'll finish uh, our series on Paul's letters from prison. But for now, it's a Christmas pause, an Advent series. We'll do a few episodes looking at Christmas previews in the Old Testament, and then we'll spend a few days in Matthew and a few episodes in Luke, and maybe even give the Apostle John a closing word or two. In the last episode, we we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and among other things, we talked a bit about the ripple effect of Christmas, the ripple caused by heaven being dropped into the ocean of earth, the ripple of Christ through the centuries. And in this episode, we're going to hang out again in Isaiah. He's one of my favorite Christmas preview prophets, and we're actually going to go back to that theme of the ripple of Christmas. But we're going to focus on Isaiah 61, just a few verses in Isaiah 61 with a, a brief detour to Isaiah's future in the Gospel of Matthew. But but let me start by putting Isaiah's words in our minds. I'll read Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 4 from the New International Version. The prophet Isaiah looks forward into history centuries from, from his time and space, and he writes these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities they have been that have been devastated for generations. Now, this may not seem like a Christmas story, but in a few moments, you're going to hear me say, this is the why of Christmas. Now, stories have a power to capture our hearts and 
and shape our minds, right? Stories actually disciple us, not just by teaching us, but by giving us a framework by which we interpret the world and and understand our desires and set our goals. Our, Our stories define our lives. Christmas is a global, timeless, eternal story. But for a moment, I just want to step back from that big, overarching story being written through all time and space that includes all of humanity. And I want to talk about your story, my story, our story, our personal story. That's one thing I love about Christmas. When when Christ was born, God got personal. And Christmas is a, a good time to ponder our place in God's Christmas story. But to do that, we have to recognize the stories we tell ourselves, right? I'm talking about those little running narratives that go on in your mind as you go through your day. Like, like sometimes we look at chapters of our lives, especially the hard ones, and we begin to think, that's my whole story. That's the story of my life. And we rehearse a narrative. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm out of chances. I'll never find love because I'm not lovable. I'm a failure. Often that narrative becomes a narrative of shame. The story we rehearse moves from I did something bad to I must be someone bad. Often we let our circumstances shape our story rather than letting our stories interpret our circumstances. It's like, I'm going through this, either God doesn't care or God isn't able. But see, I, I want to talk about these stories in the light of Christmas, because of the Christmas story is a true story. And with all my heart and mind, with all my soul, I believe it is the most true story ever. But ultimately, you have to decide what you believe. But if it is a true story, it is the story of God with us. God with us. The story of Christmas is the story of God with us. The prophet Isaiah was the first one to call Jesus Emmanuel. In Isaiah 7, 14, another preview of Christmas, he said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And an angel delivered almost that same exact message to Joseph. And it's recorded in Matthew's version of the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, when it says this, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And and the what he considered, what Joseph was considering was what Mary told him about being pregnant with the child of God. And the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all of this, the angel said, occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, this is the great Christmas promise. I mean, I love the promise of forgiveness. They will call his name Jesus, for he will save us from our sins. I mean, that's what the word Jesus, Yoshua, literally means. God saves. That's the promise of forgiveness, right? But he forgives us so that he can be with us. He forgives us not just to forgive us. He forgives us so that he can be with us. The great Christmas promise is that God is with us. The baby's given name was Jesus, but his prophetic name was Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, the story of Christmas, in fact, the story of the of the Bible is not primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's about the desire of God to be with people. The most frequent promise in the Bible, listen to me, the most frequent promise in the Bible is I will be with you. The chorus of Christmas, God with us. The story of God with us starts with a baby born in Bethlehem, a ripple 
Such a small beginning. I mean, the birth of a child in the rural village of Bethlehem, born to a teenage mother and a carpenter, a flicker of light, just a flicker of light born in the midst of deep darkness, a glimmer of glory born in the midst of the mess. But the Christmas story weaves its way through reality, right? It, it involved real people living in a real world who had real problems that brought real pain. I mean, Jesus was not born in a heavenly bubble. God did not bypass that real world to plan a glorious Christmas story. He came to be with us in our real world. Our world, a world filled with violence and beauty, a world filled with the love of adoption and the darkness of sexual abuse, a world of happy valleys filled with wounded people, both and, not not either or. This is the world in which he is with us. The, the ripple started in darkness, but it's been bringing light for thousands of years, both and, massive impact. Walt Disney's daughter, I love this story, she wrote a biography of her dad a while ago, and she talks about when she was a little girl. She didn't know, didn't really know what her dad did, who he was, until she was about six or seven years old. She was at school, and there were kids in her school who said, you know Mickey Mouse and the Magic Kingdom and all that stuff? That's your dad. She went home and said to him, Dad, how come you never told me you're Walt Disney? <laughs> it's kind of like that. We, we become so used. We've become so used to our Jesus. Sometimes we miss how huge an impact Jesus has made in the world globally. But again, it's not just global. He's not just a, a sun shining in the global darkness. He's a light in our personal darkness. He meets us in our sorrow. He's with us in our brokenness. He's familiar with our pain. And with all the wonders of Christmas, this is perhaps the greatest wonder of all. God is with us. But then Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, takes the with <laughs> a step farther. God is not only with us, he's for us. In the midst of all the crud in your world, in my world, in our world, personally, locally, and globally, these, these are the words that God won't stop smushing into my heart lately, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. These words were so heart-held by Jesus that, that he quoted them to initiate his ministry in Luke. It says, the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, Release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is why Jesus came. Jesus announced it. He said, this is why I came. This is why Jesus came. And if this is why Jesus came, I told you I was going to say this. And this is the why of Christmas. This is the why of Christmas. Do you hear the for us in those words? Jesus is for us in our brokenness. In fact, Jesus is drawn to our brokenness. He's not keeping his distance from your poverty. He's not shaking his head at your broken heart or pointing his finger at your captivity. He's not bumbling around in your darkness. He's not uncomfortable with your mourning. I'll say that again. He is not uncomfortable with your mourning, your grief, or your cries of despair. If you can find him anywhere, you can find him sitting with you in the midst of your ashes. And I know for some of us, that's kind of difficult to believe. The story that you keep telling yourself slams God or slams you, but either way, it doesn't leave many pages for the story of God with us in our mess. 
But I'm telling you, that's the why of Christmas. This is why he came. This is why he keeps coming. He's drawn to our brokenness, and he's drawn to our brokenness for a purpose. He's he's coming with good news for the poor, wholeness for the brokenhearted, freedom for the captives. He, he's come to comfort those who mourn and strengthen those who grieve. He's come to fill you with beauty and joy. He's come to bring praise from the lips of those who are heavy with despair. And it might take time. Ripples often do. But I'm telling you that in light of eternity, in light of the fullness of the whole story, it's closer than we think. I'm not saying the waiting isn't difficult. I'm simply saying that the day is coming. One day, every broken thing will be made whole. And Christmas is a reminder that the waiting will not be forever. In fact, the day is coming. Isaiah says in verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Jesus says, I I got good news. God is doing something. Their past has not stolen their future. I'll do such a work in their hearts and their lives that they will be called oaks of righteousness. They will give a full display of God's splendor. They will be called, who will be called oaks of righteousness? My wife, Lynn, is the first one who pointed out this wonderful truth to me. Who are they? Who who will be called oaks of righteousness? Who are they who will be a full display of God's splendor? They are the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives and those in darkness and those who mourn and grieve and those whose treasures are burnt to ashes and those in deep despair who walk around with a spirit of heaviness. They, verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I'm telling you, isn't that an amazing Christmas story? What an amazing Christmas gift. I can't give a little kid a good satisfactory answer for why they went through abuse. I can give a reason, but it won't decrease the pain. But listen, I can tell you this about God. In every set of circumstances, from joyful to tragic, he's shaping us for glory. You are a seed being planted that will one day become a display of God's glory. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, it'll take years and years of growth before it becomes a display of splendor. Oak starts small and an acorn, (laughs) and they take time, just like a ripple. A tiny seed held captive in the darkness of the earth till the shell around it is broken, and then it begins to grow, and down the road it ripples into glory. And and I know some of you listening to me in a world where big and much are often associated with worthy, you feel small and insignificant. But God's got more in mind. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's masterpiece. You are what God does. From small beginnings, great oaks arise. But it takes time. I used to think that when it came to my growth, my life becoming more and more like Jesus, God's masterpiece being sculpted in my life, the ideal way for that to happen was for God to supernaturally zap me. Okay, God, here I am. I'm ready to change. Zap my heart. Change me. Take away those attitudes. Stop that sin. Rewire my mind to follow those those values. I'm ready. Just do it. I grew up thinking that was God's plan A, but the longer I live and the more I study the Bible, the more I realize that God's plan A takes time. He, he uses people and circumstances and events good and, and hard. He, he uses teachable moments and the chisel of suffering and the hammer of pain. He uses the brushstrokes of brokenness, not because he doesn't care, but because that's the best way. That's why Jesus came as a baby, not a full-grown man. He needed time to grow in wisdom and stature. And I'm telling you that as surely as an acorn has an oak inside of it, there is an oak of righteousness inside you. Do not dismiss small beginnings, but also don't be afraid to dream big. Because every oak starts with a seed, 
and it becomes a display of his glory. How will they fully display God's glory? They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They'll renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And and who are they? They're the poor and the brokenhearted and the captives, the ones in darkness, those who mourn and grieve and wrestle with despair. But now they are the bringers of hope. The revival chapter of God's story. They will rebuild and restore and renew. I can't even begin to tell you how much that statement encourages me, excites me about this season we find ourselves in. I believe this is part of God's plan. In days past, God has poured out grace upon those who are broken. And in the days to come, that grace will flow even more upon those who've been broken by sin, by abuse, and and even by their own choices. And the broken will become the builders. Those who thought they were ruined will bring restoration and redemption. See, God's not through with you. He is with you. He's not through with you. He's with you. He's with you. He's drawn to your brokenness. Your past has not stolen your future. You're an oak tree in the hands of the living God. That's the Christmas story. Every time you believe that, like that acorn, you are an oak of righteousness in God's hand. Every time you believe that, you you enter his story. Every time you look at your circumstances through the lens of God is with me, you start another chapter. When you wrestle with despair or grief enough to get out of bed in the morning and whisper, I'm being planted. You show up in the pages of God's story. Listen to me. This is the story of your life. Would you say that to yourself right now? Christmas is the story of my life. And in the midst of the hard times, I am being planted for his glory. That's your story. Father God, I pray for each and every person listening, especially those who feel like they are small and insignificant, those who, who feel like they've broken, been broken beyond purpose. God, I, I pray that you would witness to their spirit by your spirit, by the spirit of God, by, by the word of God, in the hands of the spirit of God, would you breathe new life and new hope and new encouragement in each and every person who is listening. God, would you, would you give us a vision, a, a desire, a hope, a goal, a dream to become oaks of righteousness, who restore the cities and renew hope? <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Thank you that this is why you came. This is the why of Christmas. I pray that we would latch on to it with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.